Howdy, y'all. This is Eddie Middlebrook, and I'm Dan Crook's biggest fan. Third Degree, the podcast, is brought to you by Soccer 90, your source for FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Friday, May 20th, America Strikers Ricardo Pepe and Jesus Ferreira will be in store signing autographs from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Stop in, shop for some fresh FC Dallas USA gear, and leave with Pepe and Ferreira's autograph. And remember, when you shop Soccer90.com as a listener of Third Degree, you receive 20% off your order when you use the promo code Third Degree. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Numero uno seis dos, I am told. Hi, I'm Peter. And as always, joined by my two Dallas soccer talking buddies. First off, condolences to Dan Crook as his Hatter's dreams of Premier League glory came crashing down late earlier this week. Sorry, Dan. Wow, wow, the tears are coming back now. Jesus. Did you cry? No, uh, no, nah, nah, I was. I definitely had a half an hour. I was really pissed off. That was a lot of fun to watch, and every time I get to this point of the championship season, I look at myself and I go, why am I not watching more championship soccer over the course of a season? Because those playoff games are so nutty good. Oh, it's it's the best. It's it's. Uh, I think someone did a someone did a study a few years ago, and they worked out it was the most competitive division in world soccer. Yeah, it's. Uh, you know, I watch it, and I look, and I and I think to myself, you know, this is probably a tick higher uh, than your average MLS game. Not necessarily the playoffs, but you know what I'm talking about. Just championship soccer. There's some some. There's some. Uh, equitableness between those two leagues uh, and I, maybe you'll disagree with me on that Dan I don't know but uh, it is fun to watch and I was really rooting for your team because I didn't realize just how how far off the salary race they are with everybody else at the top of the championship and the odds of them getting as far as they had just seemed ridiculous they had gotten as far as they did second smallest uh, wage budget in the division which is still significantly more than most MLS teams. Yeah, true. Okay. Very good. Well, I th- sorry, dude. That must have been heartbreaking. It was it was it was a difficult one, but you know, um if you'd have said mid table uh, at the start of the year everyone would have bit your arm off, never mind, hey, 90 minutes away from uh, Wembley. All right. Well, there's always next season, isn't there, sir? Unless you're Barnsley and lose to our DK and then get relegated the season after, yeah. <laughs> All right. And then now time to introduce you to your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, editor, founder of thirddegree.net, the good Buzz Carrick. Buzz, your team is solidly in the premiership and likely a contender for next season. Yeah, I, I don't know if they're going to go all the way to contender, but they're definitely going to be in the top half, I would assume, and hopefully making a shot for some of those um, bottom, what do you call them, fruitcake? Uh, well, the fruitcake cup fruitcake. is only for fourth place. <laughs> okay, I'll yeah. take sixth. I'll be, I'll be happy to get some kind of European something. That'd be fun. You're, you'd like to do uh, road trips to Iceland yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. Azerbaijan? Well, I mean, it's not like I'm going to go. I'm just going to watch it on TV. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do have to ask before we get into uh, all things uh, FC Dallas Curious, 
where did you come up with the fruitcake cup and all that? I was listening to the kick around while driving back from Rockwall a couple of weeks ago, and you were talking about United not wanting it, and I'm like, what is this? It, it, it's based on the fact that for the last two months, every time we felt like we had a grasp on who was going to be the likely fourth place team in the Premier League, meaning they were going to grab the last Champions League spot, they would blow it the next week and somebody else would take it. And it was this kind of ongoing thing between Spurs. Well, it started off between Manchester United, uh, Arsenal, Spurs, and West Ham. And there was this kind of revolving door of people sitting in that spot over the course of several weeks. And the joke became fourth place feels like it's fruitcake. Nobody likes to get a fruitcake on Christmas, but somebody's going to get it and they're not going to like it. And that's just how that competition for that place felt like it was going towards the end of the season uh, because everybody would just blow it the week after they had gotten into the spot. Well, in that case, thank you for sharing my disdain about weddings in the United Kingdom always having a fruitcake. It's the most awful (laughs) baked good ever, isn't it? Somebody gave me a fruitcake for my birthday once as a teenager, and I told them to piss off. Yeah, because they hated you. That's why they did that. Apparently, yeah. Fruitcake is a weird, weird baked good, yes. Uh, But now it appears that Spurs have earned it. They've won a lot of games in a row and done well for themselves, so now they'll get the uh, Champions League glory. (sighs) Can I interrupt you real quick? Yeah, of course. I think uh, by the time anyone gets to this stage of the podcast, they will have heard the Soccer 90 promotion for the tomorrow's signing. And I know you know this, Peter, that Pepe and Jesus are going to be there from noon to two. I just wanted to mention that specifically uh, Pepe is noon to one and Jesus is one to two. So if you want your choose Jesus shirt signed, you need to go between one and two. If you want to take your uh, (laughs) El Tren shirt to get it signed, you'll need to go between noon and one. That that was a weird non sequitur right in the middle of the conversation about the fruitcake cup. Well, it seemed like you were winding up the fruitcake cup and says nobody wants fruitcake, but people might actually want Jesus and Pepe's autographs tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's really cool. We tried really hard to get Pepe to come on the show Saturday, and his people uh, didn't seem like he was ready to do media like that. So if you mm-hmm. want to see him, go uh, go see him at the Soccer 90 joint. Ambush, Peter, just go up there with your recorder. As uh, Dan has now anointed it, by the way, this has got to be their new uh, their new famous uh, slogan: "America's favorite soccer store." <laughs> yeah, honestly, <laughs> they need to pay you for that one, Dan. I love that America because I'm going to start referring to that uh, since they're the sponsor America's of the kick around. Yeah. America's yeah, they can store. they can pull in a Luton shirt for me. That would be yeah. good enough. All right. Well, speaking of emotions, boy, if you are a fan of Dallas, you've uh, experienced the extreme range of emotions. We start off with a fantastic result going to L.A. at the other best defensive team in the league, putting three on them straight away and holding them to one, winning in L.A. three to one, which felt like a great thing, only to then go to Vancouver, the worst team in the league that had only previously won twice at home all season and losing to the worst team in the league in the worst of possible ways and buzz i need to know from you Hmm. which of those results are more indicative of what fc dallas really is well that's a good question um i i think the current version of fc dallas 
generally plays more like they played in Vancouver. The the Galaxy um, win, which was super, super nice, was a very aggressive mid to low block with a very aggressive counterattack. Now, they only do that sometimes, not even all the time on the road, because clearly they didn't in Vancouver. They only do that every once in a while on the road. Uh, so that style is unlike they usually play. So um, I think actually the while the LA win is obviously a bigger deal. I mean, how, how many times has that Dallas won in LA uh, on, especially against the galaxy? I bet it's less than five in the history of the club. Um, I say that without looking, uh, but say so less than a, 10 and it'll still sound impressive. Yeah. And you're probably more correct. I, I don't mean, know. The, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they play, they play there every year, obviously, because they're in the West, but sure. 10 would be 500 out there. There's no way. And so it's like, it's gotta be less than like five or six. I would bet you. Because LA is generally really good, and it's been generally very hard to win on the road. So, like, I, I remember games where they've just got absolutely trucked at the Galaxy. So to win, to to beat them handily back that way, and that game really felt like an Oscar Pereira style game, not a Nico Estevez type game. So the Vancouver game, loss aside, is more typical of how the team plays. So that's a long way of saying that. Uh, it's a complicated answer, but that's true. The Vancouver game is more like the real actual FC Dallas team. Okay, so I think we have to, before we get into the specifics of each of the games, uh, the one overriding factor was the surprise news that Alan Velasco, Martin Paz, and uh, Martinez, the center back, were all suddenly not available to the the mysterious health and safety protocols, which essentially just tells us that they tested positive for COVID. Is that what? No, 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 not necessarily. It just, it it can even be something, it can be something non COVID related. It can be other uh, sicknesses. Theoretically, the, 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 there's like five things that can be. One is that, yes, you actually are positive for COVID. Two is that you, you participate in what they call reckless behavior, which I might say something like you went to a party in the Hollywood Hills with a hundred other people. That's reckless behavior that can get you on the list. Even if you don't catch it, uh, three is a, uh, false positive test. So you don't have it, but you test for a day said you did. And so you have to wait Four is a test that is non conclusive again, puts you on the list. Five is contact with a individual who, uh, is known to be positive. So you have to quarantine if you don't catch it just because you had contact because it takes five days for it to show up, remember, mm-hmm. for you once you get the exposed. The Rito Ziegler rule. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then six is like you could have the flu, like a regular old flu. So right. we don't know what any of these guys have. Did they? Did, did one of them do something wrong and then go to lunch with the other? It, it's slightly weird that two of them were on the thing first and then Velasco showed up on the day of. So maybe like he was, was like, an, I mean, we're guessing as to what it all, all right. is. It's COVID related, but they could none of them actually be sick. You still have to quarantine if you were exposed, even if you don't catch it. So, all right. I want to throw, I wanted to make a monkey pox joke in there, but I won't because you, the one thing that you said in there about reckless behavior suddenly made me ask the question. So is attending a Dallas Mavericks playoff game at the AAC with a bunch of other people without a mask, is that deemed reckless behavior? It probably depends on whether you broke certain protocols. Like there's all these complicated protocols for people that are athletes like this, you know, and, and reckless behavior at a, at a Mavericks game. If you're only with the people that you are in your team or your PR people, and you only meet like a couple of Mavericks who are also in an isolated sort of bubble type environment, you're probably fine. Now, if you went out into the plaza and stood there and signed a hardened autographs with a hundred people, six feet 
away from you or less, that would be reckless behavior. So it's, I mean, I'm just loosely defining it myself. That somehow the league has defined all these things. It's not likely that they're going to get you on the reckless behavior one unless you do something really dumb these days, you know, like stage dive or something. You know? I ask because there is a lot of uh, social media photography of Martin Paz at multiple Dallas Mavericks yeah. games over the last couple of weeks, uh, both in yeah. crowds and in the suites and with his girlfriend and with his yeah. friends. Uh, and I and, and look, I don't have an issue with it, but I just wonder if yeah. somebody if that qualifies well, as reckless behavior. It, it certainly could. I don't, I don't know the exact terms, but you know, Paxton and, and Edwin went to games, but they were with the authorized sort of visit from the FC Dallas versus like going on your own. Or uh, I mean, it, maybe it's not even that. Maybe just as purely hypothetical fictional idea. Maybe Martin Paz's girlfriend caught COVID. And yeah. then Martin went to lunch with Martinez, you know, and then Martinez went to lunch with Velasco and all of a sudden you got three guys out really quickly. So, you know, again, we don't actually know that they're sick or not, but bottom line is they had to sit out a week basically for whatever reason, either exposed or they actually got, I mean, at this point you assume they're all um, vaccinated, right? Or they, at, you probably now for sure. Anyone that went to Canada is because you can't go to Canada without being vaccinated. There have been cases where people have been left behind on health and safety protocol because they weren't vaccinated and they couldn't even get into Canada. You know, so again, we would be guessing on Hmm. any reason why those three guys are on there likely to get into the country and to play for FC Dallas and be inside their bubble, you would have to be vaccinated by, by this point, I would imagine. Well, they're all three foreigners, and so I would assume yeah. it's probably not a vaccination issue. I, I wouldn't think so either, but that's the yeah, thing. is like Paz we really have no definitely idea. definitely wasn't because yeah. he posted something about coming out of quarantine. Okay, mm. there you go. Yeah. Interesting. Well, so in their place was uh, Tafare, Jimmy Maurer, and Hot Air Obreon. And surprise, surprise, Dan Crook, they went to L.A., and I'll be damned if they didn't put together a nice little win, and you had the hottest of sports opinions. I loved your opinion that you posted uh, in your review of the game. I quote you, Dan Crook, quote, Do I think Hot Air Obreon is a better footballer than Alan Velasco? Absolutely not. But I also don't think FC Dallas scores the early opener or has Chase Gaspar on the ropes all game in L.A. or the goal in Vancouver with Velasco in this lineup. That is some stout hot sports opinion right there, Mr. Crook. Well, we talk about the verticality of the team so much. And over the over the past years, we complained about uh, what's his name? The useless Belgian guy. Roland uh, or Jeff. That's the one. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> the list is quite long, Dan, when it comes uh, to know, wingers, international wingers uh, on this true. team. Yeah. Yeah. Take true. your pick, my friend. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we, we talked so much about Roland Lamar kind of like unbalancing the team where you've got like a, a pacey forward, pacey winger, and then some guy kind of off sticking his finger up his ass um, and, and hogging mm. the ball. Um, now I'm not saying that Velasco is necessarily doing that, but Velasco is very much a, I get the ball and then I try and run with it. And then I probably get dispossessed, but once a game, there's a good chance of something good happening. Well, th- those two games, specifically the goals we're talking about and and uh, the way they took on Chase Gaspar was all about getting pace up the inside. That's not Velasco's game. That's not Velasco's role in the in the team, he has that kind of free role from the left where 
you know, the other where Ariola and Jesus kind of just fill around him. So I just don't think that, that those opportunities come with Velasco in the team as much as they did with Obreon. All right, so I'm going to ask you the harder question. Is Dallas better with Obreon than they are with Velasco? I don't know, man. That's tough. Uh, I think I think Obreon's game suits what FC Dallas is doing a little bit better. Which is what? Being like they play better when they're vertical and more direct? They certainly create more chances that way. Hmm. Well, that's disappointing considering you spent almost $8 million <laughs> on the little Argentinian, isn't it? When you already had Javier Obreon in your pocket. He'll come great. He's just, he doesn't look after the ball particularly well. Um, he, he's kind of a bit of a black hole in, in the attack. And when he can, when he can look after the ball and turn those like one, every 15 possessions turns into a really nice pass or a really nice run into something like one, every five, you know, everyone's going to be absolutely celebrating him. It'll be, you, know, you could say the same about Mara Diaz. His first six months, you were like, "Really? This this guy was the was the guy," and then it kind of clicked. He got a little bit better at, at keeping the ball and, and looking after it and, and producing. Buzz, I'm fascinated to know your opinion to this topic. Well, let me first say that the way you pronounced his name a minute ago, it triggered in my head a new secondary nickname for him. He's now going to be Hot Air Obreon. <laughs> as a new nickname or or o'brien as kobe jones called him on the yes, podcast repeatedly yeah the whole game um <laughs> i I, th- I think that it's uh that, that o'brien provides a unique ability among the wings and even even a jesus forward of that direct over the top pace and given that this particular coach likes to micromanage matchups and likes to micromanage tactical changes. You can just look at these two games, for example, as very, very different stylistically types of tactical plays and setups, defensively, offensively, everything. You know, ordinarily, Velasco gives you an alternative style to Urbion and also to Areola too. So I, I think it's actually been really nice that this coach will be able to mix and match potentially those three players. And now probably... Velasco and Ariel are going to be your first two choices, but O'Brien certainly has shown, and there's going to be call-ups for Ariel coming up. Uh, O'Brien has certainly shown that he has something he can bring to the table. There are deficiencies, but again, just like he has deficiencies, Ariola does, not Ariola, excuse me, Velasco does too. Velasco, because they give him freedom, you never know where he's going to pop up on the outside of the inside, and, and Paxton, for example, has to compensate for that, and he has to constantly switch and drift inside-outside to, to, to match up the opposite of what uh, Velasco's doing. So just like when you have to compensate for that guy, when O'Brien's in, he plays differently and you have to compensate for that. And this coaching staff is good enough to deal with that. And the change of pace for O'Brien is a fantastic tool. Do I think they're better with him starting? No, but I think that there's tools that you can use there that can put a team on its heels, that can give you an attack in a way they didn't expect. And I think collectively this club is better because it has all those guys and has all those different options. I, I think this team under this coach is well past the idea that there's just 11 starters. I think there's like 
14 starters, and he's picking 11 of them any given game, depending on what the scenarios are going to be, if that makes sense. No, it totally makes sense. And in watching these two games with Hader, it dawned on me that we are seeing a vastly improved player from last oh, season. Yeah, yeah, can we, sure. can, Dan, would you agree with that? A hundred percent. He actually, like, you know, doesn't just pick and choose when to get involved in defense now. You right. Know? He's like, wait, I'm supposed to do this. I will do this. The opening goal in L.A. is a great example. Not only, I mean, Emma's got a big role in this because Emma plays a very smart and early pass to Hot Air. But Hot Air makes a fantastic run in the first place and then makes the right decision to square the ball. And that's that's fundamentally different than what we've seen out of this guy. So here's my question to either one of you. You can answer. Is the improvement in Hader just simply the fact that it's the Oscar Perea, it takes a South American a full season to get acclimated to Major League Soccer, or two, is it the difference between Lucci and Nico? Uh, I'll, I'll say that it's it's mostly the system. Um, now, whether Nico is communicating better what he wants O'Brien to do or not, I probably would lean to the idea that he is, but it's more about, to me, the idea that under Lucci – the outside backs were flying, attacking modern outside backs. Both of them were often going at the same time. And part of the responsibility of, the, of a winger under Lucci was that when that happens and they turn it over, sometimes you're the man back and you got to get all the way back and you got to be able to play. Uh, and that's not O'Brien's game. Well, under Nico, we don't have these modern flying outside backs. You know, we have Ima Tumasi, who does tend to go forward fairly well. Nanu tends to go forward fairly well, but they both go forward under control. They often are supporting underneath in the gap that the eight is vacating because the eight's going into the box, or they might be supporting wide and underneath because the wing is now cut inside perhaps. So it's not quite this track meet and it's more simplified in terms of your, how much defensive responsibility O'Brien is in charge of. In particular, most of it is going to be when you're in this mid block where they drop into what is effectively a 4-5-1, and that's very simple for him to say, I'm covering that wide space, and that's the only one I have to really worry about, other than, high, of course, high pressing. But uh, So it's mostly system to me. But we've definitely seen differences to how Obreon plays in front of Marco Farfan, a, a you know, really good defensive first left back, as opposed to Emma, who will get forward, who maybe... It is a little more slack in defense and requires a bit of a helping hand uh, from from Matt Hedges for the most part. Uh, you know, everyone definitely seems to react a little better to not having quite as much uh, defensive responsibility put on him. And like you said, with the, with the uh, the system last year, playing as a winger was almost like playing as a center midfielder. You had to have the tactical now going forward and back, which that's just not his game. Do you think he's clearly better left than right because Farfan's over there on the left? I don't know if that's the only reason, but he definitely seems to have a lot more success on the left. Yeah. And it, it may just be a case of he can cut in and, and free up his, you know, shape yeah. up his body a little more. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, which, you know, like, I mean, Ariola, I mean, his last two goals have been off his left foot. He can he can seemingly do it all off, yeah. off both feet. So that's quite a luxury to have. Yeah, O'Brien definitely seems better when he's on that diagonal slash between the center back and the outside back onto his right foot when he's coming from the left side than he does trying to do that on the right side where he doesn't really seem to execute that as well. Yeah, I also wonder that in L.A., if 
it, you know, they targeted the same run on Chase Gasper all night. I wonder if that was something that I'd identified through. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Through video, or if that's something that, you know, Obreon instinctively makes that run and, like, oh, okay, we're going to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was nice. I'm doing that 50 times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I clipped it in the video at least five times I did it. All right, so uh, not to jump too far ahead, Buzz, who starts in that position? Is it uh, Hader or Velasco? Well, th- that's going to be something we're going to be learning about this coach. We're going to learn. Uh, we, we've been. I was surprised, for example, that Brandon Cervania did, did not retain his starting spot very quickly. That Siki kept it for an extra game, and then Brandon was rotated back in. So has Obreon done enough in the coach's eyes to keep that spot? Or is Velasco so valuable and so important and so worth so much money that he's in automatically no matter what? I think tactics will play a part of the discussion uh, in terms of like what the matchup is. I think that in a way, Cervania, some of he may not have regained his spot as quickly because his his benching was over a mental thing, a game thing, and not just the fact that you had COVID exposure. So it's not you it's hard to punish somebody for that. But it'll also tell us a little bit about how this coach looks at injuries. Like when you're coming back from injury, how quickly do you regain your spot? So, you know, it's still so early in this coach's career with FC Dallas, not overall, that we don't really know. So my assumption is that based on how much money uh, Velasco cost, that he's going to be back in there. Um, You are playing Minnesota United, who's a – I don't. I don't know enough about their defense. I feel like their defense is fairly athletic, so I'm not sure that O'Brien would be as, as effective against that team. You know, so. Uh, All right. It's a good question. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say Velasco will be back in there. Okay. Now, do you mind if we uh, uh, interrupt this podcast for and insert some speculation? Oh, I love speculation. Go ahead. Always. Have either one of you taken a moment to consider the? Is it just purely coincidental that your big-time star Argentinian 19-year-old ends up on the health and safety protocol on the heels of his I Miss My Friends social media post? Uh, That's a little far for me. Okay. I I, I, I like your theory. I I like the fun of it. I I think that's a little far. At least, man, I hope not. (laughs) <laughs> we that had a dude I just want to remind you yeah. we had a dude leave in the middle of the night on a plane to Turkey at one time this yeah, is not we a did. far stretch Buzz uh, Carrick uh, yeah yeah no he did tweet out a thing about like a face mask emoji and like a cry he's deleted that since yeah he did delete it yeah so they may have told him to kibosh that uh, okay yeah yeah that's a oof man <laughs> I Sorry. really hope it's not. Yeah. I didn't mean, did I yeah. stir the water too hard? Uh, uh, it certainly, like, it certainly makes me worry that, like, I think that there's no way, but then, like, the worries of that are like, oh, my gosh, that's some high-level shenanigans to, to to fake, if you will, a COVID protocol just because so, he wants to go home or something. That's, golly, I hope that's not what's happening. Here's the problem. You, you fake a COVID protocol and you're stuck at home for a week. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, not a lot he can, unless someone's coming to him, then yeah. it's going to be pretty bored. 
Any chance he went home to Argentina this week, actually? Yeah. <laughs> went, to, went for a visit? I don't know. Again, it certainly would not be the first person to break protocol when they were supposed to be isolated on this Well, I, I, you know, maybe yeah. they, I, look, again, this is the special speculation portion of the podcast. Yeah. I'm not saying any of this is true. I'm just speculating and asking the question at all. The timing yeah. of it Oof. seems a little weird. Uh, you know, it's not like we've seen Mr. Velasco over the course of the last uh, seven to ten mm-hmm. days. So uh, I just, you know, hey, let's put him on the list and maybe Golly. he could secretly fly down to Argentina, go see mommy and come back all fresh and new. Maybe. I don't know. Just throw it. I've not heard wow. anything. I made just made it up in my head i don't know <laughs> i'm not saying this is true i am speculating I i'm just spe- yeah. well hey look if he comes back and he hits a couple of bangers and yeah. plays well will right. any of us care right good point good point again i am not saying any of that is true it was all made up by yeah. me pure speculation yep. and pure speculation <clears throat> yeah that doesn't now, matter someone's gonna Tomorrow, there's going to be a thing people say in there where on the podcast we said that Velasco faked the whole thing. You know how this <laughs> <that> works. <laughs> I'm sure it'll show up. Yeah. In a bl- I'm sure it'll show up in another website tomorrow. Yeah. Big soccer. Anyway, this uh, this, this speculation it, was me. brought to you by Soccer Ninety. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> America's soccer store. <laughs> yeah. Favorite soccer store. Yeah. Since 2019 or 18. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so uh, I, the other thing about the LA game is not only the great spirit the team uh, played in, played with, but I was really impressed with the defensive organization of the team. It was, you know, the team's been good defensively all season long, but there was something I don't know. Maybe it was the camera angle. Maybe it was the way LA was playing. Uh, I, I just, I really was impressed with the defensive organization in that game. Yeah, I actually thought that that was potentially that might have been Facundo's best game. I thought he was yes. really good. Yeah, which is a bummer because, you know, I'm all in on the Edmund train. But, um, man, Facundo was good. And when you combine him with Hedges, who's, of course, back in phenomenal form and healthy, and and you put Tafari's a little bit more uh, uh, more range and quickness and ability to cover ground. It's and improved like, passing. Improved passing. You know, it's just like uh, – it's. And Ima Tomasi's coming on. I, I'm with you. It's like that was one of the best defensive. You know, plus when you go up, well, number one, you're playing a mid to low block anyway, which gives you a lot of defensive rigidity and stability. And then you go out and counter break a couple of goals. Well, now you can really get defensive and sit on the game and kill it. You know, so this is the pro, it was a prototypical example, like a textbook example of how Nico wants to kill a game on the road and kill the other team on the road and stifle their opportunities and counterattack. That's what I mean about that game being a, a Pareja-style road kill. I mean, mm-hmm. I, it would give me so much vibes to throw back to that. Now, they don't do that all the time, of course. We talked about that. Vancouver, they didn't do that. But, um, yeah, it was a phenomenal performance. And, and, and honestly... I thought it might have it legitimately might have been Facundo's best game since he's come to Dallas. All right, that's a good segue because I wanted to mention this because we were talking about this in our chat group, and Dan, you had some insight into this. Is to had and again, let's take away what happened at the end of last night's game and set it aside for a moment. Had Cerrillo done something or performed in a manner that caused him to lose that gig because we've seen Faco. We thought he was just the road guy, but we saw him start at home against Seattle. I think it was, um, and, and kind of hold that position. And my question, Dan, that I think you have an answer to was had, had it, was it just Faco playing well or had Cerio done something that, uh, kind of un, uh, unsettled the coach? It was just uh, Faco had been, as Nico put it in a good moment. Um, 
I asked him after the Seattle game and used that exact phrase, and, hey, you've, you've had Faku on the road and, and Edwin at home. You know, is this just a case of protecting the ball on the road and getting forward at home, or, or is there something more to it? And he said, no, it's just, you know, Faku's in a good moment. They want to keep that consistency. They don't want to just chop and change for the sake of it. So um, it definitely paid off. I mean, 30 pressures is, is insane. Eight blocks, six clearances. Um yeah, I mean, uh, worked really well having having him sitting in front of the two centre backs playing zonally. Uh, he had, I mean, I don't know if if he had to check uh, Chicharito in f- before the flight to Vancouver. If he left him in LA, I'm you know, <laughs> but either way, he had to empty his pockets of him. <laughs> it was a great performance. I, uh, uh, Buzz, was that the best performance by this team all season so far? The L.A. game, 3-1 uh, win? Uh, uh, it depends on what you're looking for. It certainly was the most decisive win against a really, really good team on their court. I mean, it's 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 the biggest statement win of this season. I think there are games they've actually played collectively better because I, I wouldn't necessarily claim that, that that sitting deep and stifling the game and counterattacking is actually playing well. I mean, it is a game plan, and they executed it to perfection. They stuffed the Galaxy, but... They've had games they've certainly played better, I think. Um, you know, I, I'm i pressed to tell you exactly which one, but I, I definitely don't think that the, the performance in L.A. is a quality display of high-level soccer. It's a quality display of – you remember the, the Dallas Cup when I talked about that idea of, like, what a great coaching that they had this game plan, they went out and executed and they won, and the other coach was like – well, they're, no one on the team's any good. Well, who cares? They won. And this is like that. You know, you might argue that in some ways the Galaxy played a better game, but they didn't win because Dallas had a much better game plan and they stomped them. So it's a, it's the biggest statement win of the year. Okay. Well, then that probably makes what happened last night in Vancouver all the worse. <laughs> yeah, it, it is and it isn't. It is because, like, if like remember, like I always say, Oscar used to tell me, sometimes you got to throw out the goal. So if you look at just the way they played, Dallas played better in Vancouver. They had almost 60% possession. They outshot the other team. They were they collectively played better soccer. Vancouver does not really play very good soccer. They kind of thug it up and thump it, right? So, like, the performance across the board in Vancouver by the team in terms of playing soccer is better, but they lost because they did not execute the game plan. They made a couple of last-second mental breakdowns that cost them. You know, so, the, you know, playing better doesn't always mean you win. That's one of the things about soccer. So. All right. Yeah. So, you, see, I, I don't know if I agree with you on any of this because um, I, I actually thought Dallas played really well in L.A. given the way L.A. was giving them. They took what L.A. gave them and made some really magic moments out of it with some yeah. sharp, direct, one-touch passing. I mean, some of those goals – in L.A. were some of the nicest goals we've seen out of this team in a long time uh, because they just they just tore L.A. apart who weren't playing very well. But then they go to Vancouver, and Vancouver is not a good soccer team. But Vancouver appeared, and they're very funny Italian coach, by the way, yeah. um, who is hilarious to watch on the sideline. Is there less? Is there another guy in the league who looks less like a soccer coach than that dude? <laughs> my wife um, like a basketball coach. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, my my, but Vancouver almost figured out a way to just kind of sit in the middle of the field and keep Dallas from doing anything. Yeah, that's and, the way sporting plays too. Yeah, that's in the middle. 
Yeah, and yeah. so when you say Dallas played well because they had all this possession, man, Buzz, I'm telling you, I guarantee you if I go look at a passing chart, 85% of that is back and forth, back and forth, yeah. just waiting patiently to try to figure out where they could poke a hole in it, and they weren't very good at that. And, uh, and I, Yeah, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I thought you were done. No, I actually think they played pretty well. Uh, you know, I thought Ariola, particular, his movement was phenomenal. He and, mm-hmm. he, and, he and Jesus were often on the same page and doing good things. You know, I, I really just thought the, the Vancouver performance was actually really good. I thought they controlled most of that game. You know, they just didn't have... The, but the they controlled mark. it because Vancouver let them control it. Yeah, Vancouver the- always lets everybody control it. The, Vancouver doesn't want the ball. They never want the ball. Everybody everybody that goes against them has a higher level of possession. But they Dallas played really well and created a lot of shots. The only thing they were missing, relatively speaking, is the clinical finishing. Like, we've how many times this season we talked about this, that Dallas is finishing at a really, really good rate. And I've always had a relatively known number of shots. And you've brought up multiple times mm-hmm. what happens when they stop... Finishing at the clinical rate. Well, you saw it in Vancouver. That doesn't mean that like 80% of the game, they weren't playing really well and playing better. You know, it comes down to the idea, like if you have three shots and three goals and only counterattack, did you play better? Or did you play better when you had 60% possession, never let the other team have the ball, execute your plan and created 12 shots and only had one goal? Like, which one did you play better? You didn't shoot better in the second one, but you probably played better. So it just depends on how you define what play better means. And that comes down to, like, what's the most important to you, winning? Like, if you won and you think scoring three goals on three shots is great soccer, then, yeah, that L.A. game is way better. But I don't I don't think – I think it's a worse performance, but it's a better – of soccer, but it's a better execution of a game plan and a win. And that's what matters is the win. Dan, where is your head on all this? Um, I, I certainly – you know, I enjoyed the LA game. It wasn't bunkerball or anything boring by any stretch of the imagination. Um uh, there was definitely a level of frustration watching watching the Vancouver game. Uh, I saw the the heat map at halftime was just a, a ring, oh, a, a semicircle around the around the center circle, just where they were trying to kind of break into the midfield but couldn't. Uh, you know, Vancouver certainly dominated possession in the Dallas half, and it it, it wasn't it wasn't a very clean performance. It was kind of they got what they were allowed and they didn't really take advantage of, of what they were allowed to do. Is uh, that, chances, a, is, I'm sorry, go ahead, Dan. I, I was going to say, you know, um, for, you know, for the 12 shots and that, you know, they weren't the, they weren't the, uh, the, the best of opportunities. Um, I think half of them were outside the box. Half, I mean, a third of them were sort of 30 yards out, not going to, not going to, uh, sorry, yeah, uh, weren't going to harm anything. Nothing was really like dead center in the box, uh, as they've kind of, you know, like LA, everything was, was hovering around the penalty spot, it seemed. Whereas, whereas Vancouver is kind of, well, let's, you know, let's, let's try and, and edge something in from, from distance or from a tight angle. Yeah, one of the real things that jumps out at you when you compare the two games is that. Uh, against the Galaxy, all but one of the Dallas shots came inside the penalty box. And Vancouver is kind of the old school Lucci style where like half the shots came from outside the box. So they didn't do as good a job in, in the Vancouver game about carrying the play all the way in and getting those good clinical opportunities they had been getting. So there's that's a deficiency. So it just it's just a question of how you define a quality play, basically. Okay, so I guess the the big overriding question is, should Dallas fans 
you know, look, if you if I had told you that Dallas was going to get three points out of these two games, you would have went, okay, that makes sense. They'll lose in L.A. and they'll win in Vancouver. But after winning in L.A. and the way that they won in L.A., do fans have a right to be disappointed in how everything turned out? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can absolutely be disappointed in those two goals that they allowed. Uh, the, the first one, they didn't get out. Nanu didn't get out on the crosser. It was lazy getting that back out there, and the guy just was able to make a nice casual cross back into the middle. Uh, Tafari didn't got beat by a shorter guy to get into the ball. Granted, it's a guy that's pretty good in the air. And then the second goal is a, is a, one of the great Jimmy Maurer flubs we've ever seen. He's usually so reliable. And then Evelyn makes what is amounts to basically kind of a rookie kind of mistake by over pursuing instead of just standing the guy up and forth. Cause he was already going away from goal. All you got to do is not let him turn, you know, and, and the game's over. So absolutely 100% be disappointed because the thing that Dallas does best this year is the de- defensive cohesion and denying the other, the other team opportunities. And they, that broke down five minutes left in the, in the game for the first time uh, in a long time. Now, granted, the thing that my one of my three takeaways from the game was the fact that think about what a mental change that is from a fan watching perspective from a year ago. A year ago, we thought that Dallas never had any shot at all on the road. It was just road was just a loss for sure. Chalk it up before they even go. And now there's they're winning games and you're pissed that they didn't win a game on the road. Right, that they didn't win both of them. Mm-hmm. That's a complete reversal. I mean, it's like a team is taking care of its business at home, and in every road game they got a chance to win it or tie it. That's remarkable. That's a sign of a very, very good team. And so that's a reason to be excited, and it's a reason to be mad that they tossed it out the window at the last second against Vancouver, who they outplayed other than that. Yeah, it's also only the second time this season they've given up two goals in a game. Yeah. You realize that? Kansas City, the the draw in Kansas City being the other one. I hadn't thought of that, but they'd only given up, like, what, eight goals on the year before that game total? Yeah, they're so, I mean, 10 like in now. 12 games. So, you know, yeah. I mean, in every way, everything that's good about the way this club plays fell apart at the very end of a game. That's what bothers. That's what should bother you. That's what should be annoying. And and well, it's not a worrying sign because it is on the road and it is a long road trip to L.A. and then up to Vancouver. I mean, that's as tough as it gets in terms of road trips and MLS. So in terms of the distance anyway. And doing it without three key starters, which is something we, you know, we started with. But I guess the question is, how much, how different does that game in Vancouver go if they have Velasco or if they have Paws or if they have Martinez? Yeah. Yeah, when uh, when both goals there were keeper mistakes and. You've uh, you've got to look at, at Paz there. So you think Jimmy played a part in the first goal too, Dan? Yeah, he got beat at the front post. He also got both hands to it and palmed it in. I mean, it's that any time any time a keeper gets beat at the near post, you have to put the spotlight on them. There was a massive defensive breakdown, but he's got a big part of it. In it. Yeah, remember Jimmy's weakness is side to side quickness. You know, 
that was where compare him to Jesse Gonzalez, who was a massive shot stopper and side to side quickness, but a poor game reader and decision maker. Jimmy was the opposite. Jimmy was a great game reader and decision maker, but lacked some of that pure athleticism getting post to post. And that's one of those cases where Paz is more like Jesse Gonzalez in terms of his ability to get post to post. He makes dramatic saves going down into the, either side. Big difference. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate for Jimmy because he's you know been a great servant to the club, and I'm sure he'll have he'll have great games for the club again. It's and he just, made a really good save at one point in that game against Vancouver too. By the way, that we haven't there was one really good save that he I think that's what kept it uh, one nothing at that point. And, and honestly, the Vancouver shooting from kickoff, you see keepers get caught out by that sort of thing because they just don't expect it. Yeah. Um. So I mean, he was he was dialed in then. It's just. It's unfortunate, you know. He's not, you know. He's played three games this year. Uh, two of them, he's he's made a a couple of errors of judgment in. Um, you know, the the cup game, kind of that weird, not knowing whether to go to ground or to kick the ball away, and then kind of doing both, kicking it off of uh, Surio's head and not being able to get up in time for to watch the goal, and then uh, calling that header wide off the off the. Uh, that front post header wide, and then it just sit nestles in inside the back post nicely, uh, and then the uh, you know having a hand in the two against Vancouver. But I mean, you know, unfortunately, that's the stuff that you can't do a keeper drill in training to, for about. It's you've got to have game time to to keep on that, and MLS doesn't really present a way for for goalkeepers to to keep those reps up. So. Let's talk about that se- that second goal scenario because that was the weirdest thing. What do you think? What was Jimmy trying to do? Prevent the corner. Yeah, it looked like he was trying to, as he was slotting out of bounds, he's trying to keep the ball in bounds and keep his hand on it, and he just failed to do that. Because it almost looks away. like he goes to ground and he almost like he like he like palms it away from himself instead of just putting his hand on top of it and stopping it. That's where I got confused by what he was trying to do. Cool. All I can think is he didn't realize that although he was going back, his arms were comfortably over the line and he wasn't about to pull the ball out for a corner. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, it's a mess. I mean, just give up the corner in that case. Well, and, and, and you know, and it, the funny thing is, is that because of that scenario, the substitution that was getting ready to happen doesn't happen until after the goal takes place. And uh, if they had gotten to the corner, then they would have been able to make the substitution they made after the goal took place. Who did they bring in there? I don't remember. It was Faku and uh, Key. Wasn't uh, not no. Kionis was already in the game. It was uh, whoever came on with Faku at the end of the game. Yeah, am I right I, about that? Is I was, it, was thinking it? I'd like to see Faku earlier. Yeah, I'm a believer that you don't make a substitution while you're defending a corner, so I'm okay with that. Okay. Oh, well, Faku didn't come in. No, he didn't. Who was? What was no, that sub? Uh, I'm thinking of this wrong. Where is the uh, goal? Kenyonis came in at 83 for Hedges, uh, right before the goal. I thought there was a sub that came on after that. I thought there was somebody trying to sub in. There was two subs no, after was, the first goal. Uh, yeah, sorry. yeah. That, Kenyonis was, was the last substitution. Siki and uh, Farah and Hara and Hara came on. Yeah. yeah. After okay. The first goal. Yeah. All right. Well, then maybe I'm thinking of it incorrectly. All right. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> anyway, it was a weird moment for Jimmy, and you could tell he was uh, pretty beat, self-beat. I didn't know. Did he, were there any comments from him, or did anybody get to ask him questions after the game, Dan? 
No, um, they didn't make him know, available. It's, it's funny they made him available after that uh, Kansas City Cup game, and you know he naturally was very pissed off. That was a silly idea to put him up in front of the two or three of us um, after that. I'm glad they kind of didn't repeat that that trick. Hmm. But uh, no, no, uh, no idea. I mean, I'm sure he was mad about the the result and and his input in it. All right. So Dallas goes on the road. They get a great win in L.A. against the Galaxy, 3-1. to one. That actually vaulted them to the top of the standings. But last night, between losing in Vancouver, the last-place team in the Western Conference, and the continued, uh, res- not resurgence, but uh, a surgence of Austin FC, who had a impressive win last night. Oh, yeah. uh, now they are at the top of the table, uh, pushing Dallas down into third place behind LA, uh, LAFC. Is that what it is? Yeah, so. they. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I know everybody hates to hates this, but I continue to believe in Buzz. I don't know if you were the original person that said this, or we all agreed to it. The best thing that has happened to Houston and Dallas is Austin. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I said. Especially yeah. now that they are proving themselves uh, legitimate on the field as well. Because to go to that place yeah. in L.A. and pull off that win, that's uh, that's no small beans. So congratulations to them. Yeah, they've been – a lot of their early results were not against very good teams, and they were running up a lot of goals. But then they had a good win against Minnesota, and this is a really good win. So they're really starting to have some belief down there. And But even more than on the field, Peter, that really that references to the off the field because – I don't think there's any, I mean, I don't know if FC Dallas will ever admit this or Dan Hunt will admit this, but I think there's no question that the change that happened and it is clearly a change. And it's so much clearly a change that Dan Hunt even asked me if I had noticed. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding? Of course we've noticed, yeah. you know, that it's clearly has happened. And I think it's a hundred percent because of what Austin has done in the stands. And if you've paid attention to what Houston's done with their new owner, and their willingness to now spend and do things differently and bring in DPs and stuff, they clearly are also responding. So forget about the stand reaction. It's the off-field business and and butts in seats reaction that really is the most telling impact. And I and I totally still think that the thing that's going to turn around Dallas and Houston is somebody showing them that it could actually be done in Texas. And I for for that I will always be thankful that Austin came in. If it turns this club into a sold-out 22,000 seater every week, that's going to be great. Yes, uh, 100% agree. Uh, all right, so they, you know, uh, you get the good, you get the bad. Uh, Dallas gets three points on the road. They are now in third place. Uh, coming up this weekend on a Sunday game uh, is Minnesota United. And the loons are coming to town. Buzz, anything we know we need to know specifically in advance of that game, which by the way starts at six o'clock. Yeah, well, we haven't seen the team train in a couple of weeks, unfortunately. Uh, the biggest question is: Are the big three guys that have been out? Are they going to be back? Based on what we normally know about how long you quarantine, those three guys should be available for this weekend's game. Should maybe probably. So don't write it in stone. Well, you should have them back. The big one, obviously, is pause. The questions are going to be, has Tafari played well enough to keep his spot? I think he has, but we'll see. Has Obreon played well enough to keep his spot? Maybe, maybe not. Depends on how how it's going. I think, actually, uh, Velasco will get his spot back because of the way Minnesota plays. I think Obreon will be less effective against them. Um, but really, that's it. The, the closest battle is Edwin and Faku, but Faku probably has earned the start. To me, Tuomasi is holding down right back. Nano did nothing to make me think that I want to see him over Tuomasi anymore. 
Um, the biggest, the Paxson looked a little tired last game. Hopefully they got him out early enough. Injury updates on Farfan and Hedges. Do we know? I don't have anything on that, but hopefully Farfan, they're okay. nothing. Hedges, uh, he just had some tightness from playing on turf. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure it'll be fine. The, the big question is: calves and hamstrings were just playing up, and they didn't want to risk it. The way Seeky's been playing, and the way Brandon looked pretty good, would you sit Paxton for a game based on how tired he looked when he came out of uh, the Vancouver game? And I'd be tempted to. I'd be tempted to sit Paxton for a game. No, <laughs> but I'm no? being selfish. <laughs> yeah, I thought. Look, I'm and, I'm in, I'm impressed by Ensebling. He has turned out yeah. to be a better player. I, I look. I, I don't know if he's. I mean. He's clearly got something. Yeah. Uh, he's a rookie, and he's better than anybody had any right to expect, but he's not Paxton Pomacol. Yeah. Um, and the, the, Paxton... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, you know, like a week and a half ago, Paxton had the best game I said in, since 2019. And then against Vancouver, he looked tired and worn out, and I thought he was terrible. So it's like, that's. I'm not saying that Siki was any better. I'm just saying based on how gassed Paxton was, I'd be tempted to start Seeky and Brandon for a game and let Paxton have a game off. You cannot have Bax Paxton start 34 games. He needs to start 26, 27, maybe. That's it. So you got to get him a game off, and Thomas isn't ready, apparently. So this would be a good one for me to put in Seeky and, and Cervania at home against a team that's a relatively athletic team and not a super, you know, dribbly kind of team, you know, other than the, they have the one guy, but Faka's going to be on that dude. Uh, I can't remember his name. You know, and they they play fairly vertical other than that one guy. So, you know, it, it's it's I'm okay with having Seeky's energy in there for a game and letting Paxton have a game off. That's what I would do, but you know, I'm not in charge. So. I was a bit disappointed to see them bitching about the field in Vancouver last night because if anybody uh, should not be talking about a po- <laughs> a field conditions, it's Dallas. Yeah. Considering, look, I I realize it's a, a bad set of circumstances and not about bad field management on anybody's part at the club. It just is the seasons and how things have gone down. But the the field in Dallas has been uh, a, a talking point you know, all season long. And I distinctly remember it playing to their advantage on one particular goal, yeah. uh, you know, I think against Seattle. So I just found it a little weird that maybe Dallas uh, had the, the, uh, the sack to, to mention the field in no matter how bad it is uh, uh, up in Vancouver. It's, it's difficult because one's by circumstance and the other's by design. Yeah. On a side note, this is the last home game before they resawed. uh, uh, Toyota Stadium. Oh, is they it? Have, yeah, because there's no, they're out of the Open Cup. They have the international break coming up. So this is the last home game. They're on the road uh, next weekend mm. at Orlando. So after this game, you know, and after whenever the Hall of Fame concert is, is that before that or after that? Whatever. After that concert's over, that's when they're going to do it. They're going to replace all the sod to the summer the grass. Concerts on Saturday. Yeah, there you go. So um, they have. So after the game on Sunday, so probably Monday, they'll or maybe even after the game Sunday night, they'll start. T- they should start tearing it out because you basically have four weeks until the next game, which is on the 18th of June, right against uh, Vancouver. So that that's when the turnover is happening on that uh, turf. That's, that's more turnaround time than they had in preseason, honestly. Yeah, it should be all. Should the, the the problem should be gone. It should be all growing in on the summer grass. Should be good next time you see it. Well, this was about the time we all used to get to do the media game on the field because it was right before they tore the thing out. Yeah. 
But they don't do that anymore. Well, that, only ever happened, that only happened once in the last, what, like f- seven years? Was that the first ever media game, Peter? The one of, like two years ago? Or the first uh, ever media game back in like I think like, they had done it more than that, but maybe or I the remember. the first ever media game in 2002 or the first ever media game in Well, they used to do it. they used to do it every <laughs> year in the Cotton Bowl. I know. We just joked about the idea when, when the one we played in at Toyota like three years ago was the first ever media game. Remember? Oh, they oh yes. They kept yeah, calling we're it like, that. Yes. We've been doing this We've since 96. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, all right. I do want to interrupt this podcast with another special segment. Oh, no. I want to play a game. I want to call this Referee Kit Assignment. <clears throat> oh, All right. Yeah. So let's have this conversation because this was driving me fucking bonkers all game long. Now, maybe it's because of the way the the cameras are calibrated and it's not as bad in person as it appears on television. But if you're the assigner, the kit assigner for this league, and you've got a home team wearing white and blue short, white shirts with blue shorts with various sundry shades of blue in the shirt versus a team wearing red with navy blue shorts, you have the option of your referee wearing navy blue, light blue, lime green, or orange. Which one do you pick? Buzz, you go first. Uh, I guess I would go lime green, but then the keeper was kind of a limeish green. Correct. Mm, Correct answer, Buzz. Dan, who do you pick? What color would you pick? Lime green. Correct. (laughs) That is the correct answer. But what did the stupid assigner pick? Orange. Now, I know that orange and red are different colors, but when you're wearing an orange shirt and black shorts and one of the teams is wearing red shirts and navy blue shorts, that is a poor uh, that it is a poor execution of that particular assigner's job, and I'm very upset. Oh, about I would have assigned a yellow referee jersey that they don't, they don't have. They don't have it this yeah, time. That's yes, why, that's what I was like. Where are they were in the yellow one. Oh, they don't well, have the yellow we one. Sh- yeah. we should celebrate the fact that they did inter- introduce a fourth color this year. Remember, last year we kept getting nuts over the fact that the referee was wearing one of the two keepers' jersey colors because all they had last year was green, bl- light blue, and orange, which was essentially the three keeper colored jersey colors they they added uh, they added navy this year what dan didn't they add purple at one point i don't i don't don't, don't think so no it's a navy blue this year i don't remember a purple i'm talking about last year when when capelli became became the referee kit supplier last year they only gave them three kit colors and there was constant conflict between the referee and the and the goalkeepers and uh they added the navy blue to to help with that this year yeah they need the yellow the thing that drives me nuts is soccer as a sport is so against teams having a primary black jersey because that's traditionally the referee's color yeah. And then the manufacturers are like, we're going to do every color but that. But black, right, exactly. The All big right. kit miss on this game was not having Dallas in white shorts. Agreed, agreed. Yeah. But uh, I felt like this was the this was the knit I could pick that was at least not the same thing we always pick on, which is white shorts. All right, now back to regular podcast programming. Uh, Minnesota does come to town 6 p.m. Uh, on Sunday uh, get your tickets, go to the game, et cetera, et cetera. The other big news of the week, guys, was the, the biannual salary dump, 
where we're all reminded that Frank O'Hara makes way too much money, uh, and we marvel at how much money Jesus is making. Uh, <laughs> that just number blows me away. Not that he doesn't de- earn it, hasn't earned it or deserved oh, yeah. it. It's just Every penny, a yeah. fascinating to see a homegrown make almost $2 million a year. It's uh, it's a pretty fundamental thing. Any uh, Dan, you got any particular thoughts or notes of the salary dump, whether it relates to Dallas or any other team? Uh, I mean, it's. I, I was looking through it, and the first thing that struck me was, what's more crazy that when you have people like uh, El Jefe talking about how the salary cap used to be, that there's now 91 players in the league making over a million dollars a year, <laughs> or that four of those play for FC Dallas. Yeah, that really caught me off guard. I was not prepared to see a season where where Dan Hunt had paid four guys over a million bucks because it literally, what, how many years did we go without them paying one person a million well, bucks? That someone, it would come out, the early release would come out and someone's got their compensation to be a million. You're like, oh, they're getting sold in the summer. Well, I mean, but how many years did we go before we even got to that part, Dan? I mean, we literally went almost two yeah. decades, right, Buzz? Yeah, I mean, who was, was the first million dollar salary for this club? Oh, was it was it was it uh, uh, Morrow? Diaz, yeah, it was. It might be, it might be him. I remember he was at his first year. He was like at nine hundred something. I think that was the first guy that went over. I mean, I, I remember there were guys that eventually became like the guys that were the peak level players, like the superstar level players we're making, you know, a couple hundred thousand and that was like a lot. And now that's like an underpaid guy, you know? Yeah. I mean, the big, the most dramatic, if you want to talk about the changes, the most dramatic thing now is that the bottom tier, the 10th guy on the supplemental roster makes a minimum of 65 K. Now when they yeah. invented that roster, that 10 man supplemental roster, the top guys are 24, uh, 124,000 for the whole year. And the bottom guys were $1,200 for the whole year. And now it's 65, thousand for the whole year so it's like you know can you can imagine twelve thousand dollars for the for the year and you, that's a thousand dollars a month those guys all had secondary jobs and now the minimum paid guy makes more than most people you know that's that's a massive change yeah the league has come a long way and the one thing that i dug out well first off seeing dallas in the top 10 in total salary i thought was pretty mind-blowing as well it's amazing what happens when you actually sell somebody and you make 30 million dollars yeah. in sales that that helps the deal that's that's what it's been all along we'll spend money when we've made some money yeah it's and, it's back I, to the uh at the end of the oscar period where there were like seven guys that are dps and they buy four of them five of them down underneath the dp level so the other thing that i dug out was uh the fact that and i know uh, well it's just the amazing uh, inefficiency of spending in Major League Soccer because the top five salary earners in this league, <laughs> if you were to if you were to look up their rank of performance, you know for who scored in their game, their average game ranking, Pozuelo for New England is the fourth highest earner at four point seven million dollars, and he's twenty first in the league in game average ranking. Mm-hmm. Shakiri is number one at eight point one million dollars, the most yeah. ever for an MLS player. He's eighty eighth. Iguain is third. Chicharito second with six million. He's eighty first average uh, game ranking, performance ranking. Iguain in Miami five point eight million dollars. He's two hundred and eightieth 
in average game performance ranking. And Josie Altador is number five at $4.3 million, and he is 355th in terms of average game <laughs> performance ranking, according to whoscored.com. Couldn't believe uh, no one took that guy. I was like, you're out of your mind. And I, and I literally could have continued down that list about the top 15 before you really began to equal out salary versus you know average performance. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Well, I bet Jesus and Ariola both have really good value for the, their prices. They do. They, yeah. they, they do. Uh, and uh, Franco, Franco Hara? Not so much. Not so much. Oh, look, you have to just look at Franco as a sunk cost. You have to understand that they, they screwed up. They threw $10 million down a hole and just forget it. And just, just only look at his value to the roster as it is because you're paying it anyway. You He's know, a well-paid coach. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Very I mean, good. Fortunately, fortunately, with with Hara, the the important number is the same as it is with all DPs. That six hundred and twelve thousand five hundred dollars, whatever is the cap hit. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Hey, uh, totally unrelated new subject. Have any either one of you taken notice of the social media campaign that Real Salt Lake has been putting out over the last few weeks about their fan base? Yeah. And the atmosphere at their games. That's good. Yeah. It, it's really, really good, and I and I'm really interested to know the genesis of that and who specifically is behind that campaign because it's not an expensive campaign and it appears to be limited to social media, but it certainly is giving me the impression that going to a Real Salt Lake game is a really amazing experience. Presumably, it's the uh, the Deloy Hansen recovery effort. It's oh because they've yeah 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 okay are they still owned by the league or do they find oh they have a new owner. no they have a new owner yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. well it's it's if if you haven't caught it yet because you don't happen to follow them in any way just go check out their Twitter account and watch some of those videos it's very connective to the community and really shows off uh, quite a scene happening in Salt Lake and and uh, clearly that's an organization that's been going through a lot of turmoil with the previous owner and trying to find a new owner and all of that but it looks like they've uh, pulled out of it quite nicely so uh good for them. Yeah, it's a good campaign. It is a it is a very nice campaign. Uh by the way, I uh, heard from a sneaky sneak that uh in the discussions uh about the thing on the stage that next year it will have flames. Mm. Yes. Hopefully it comes out of the noses of the bull. Uh, well, if it doesn't come out of the <laughs> mouth or nose of the bull, it is a yeah. failure. Uh, as a as a <laughs> shout out to the old Dallas Burn electric legged flame vomiting horse. But uh, my next question is, why is it going to take all this time? What does it take to get flames to go? Did you see that? Did you see the goal celebration scene in Vancouver last night with the smoke machines all the way around the stadium? That was awesome. Oh, yeah. With the blue lights under them as well. Yeah. Yes, that looks super cool. Do you, do you guys know the movie Megamind? It's a comic cartoon with uh, Will Ferrell playing Mega, I am, Megamind. I am familiar. Yes, yes, yeah, I am familiar. Yeah. Love that movie. Uh, the the thing I think of is the at the climactic scene in the movie when he says, you know, the difference between you and me is, and, the, and he says the answer is presentation, and the big giant <laughs> fan of lasers goes down and goes like, that's what I want is the jig, big giant fan of red lasers to come down I, behind the bull. That's what I want. Yeah, I want yeah. lasers so bad. Yeah, it's got to be a laser show. Yep, I'm in. 
I'm telling you. Oh, and by the way, apparently the drone show was such a hit. They are going to have another drone show later nice. this season. Well, hold on. That's oh. uh, this is here's my huntsman dump. Yeah. The wait, word on more. the street is is that it's after the LA game and it will be twice the drones. What's which, what game's the LA game? Is that uh in, I don't end of, know. end of uh, end of uh June? Look, this is all deep throat stuff, man. I'm only getting little bits and pieces. Just take what I give you and be happy about it, Buzz. I know. I want to know if I can go. I want to see it. I don't know. Maybe I just just block off both those L.A. games. I wish I could do that. For anyone that's just started listening to the podcast in the last 10 seconds, sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Why? Okay, where in the podcasting world does somebody fast forward to an hour and six minutes? I don't know. Spotify uh, does some crazy things sometimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get in my car and it's just been going off, and it's just it's just been playing. I finally click on to my, my Bluetooth, and it's like I wasn't even on this episode. What's going on? <laughs> okay, anything else, mates? Um, North Texas is pretty good. You should go watch them play. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, there's some uh, the academy season's almost over. The play uh, the U19s actually managed to win their way through a qualification tournament into the playoffs, which is great because they have not been very good this year because they're really really young. Um, next year is going to be fun. So uh, the season's almost over, and then sometime around August there'll be a new set of teams. And there, there's actually a big rumor. I have cannot confirm this yet, but there's a big rumor that Dallas is going to add an Academy team. They're going to add a U 16 team um, and field. Cause before they've gone from 15 to 17. So the 17 was kind of a big weed out stage because they would have twice as many players as they needed really. So they're going to roll in a 16 team and be able to have a second team in five minutes for a lot of those guys and keep them around a little longer. So I think that's really good development if it turns out to be true, but it's a pretty strong rumor. So I'm pretty confident it will be happening. All right. And it's time now for our weekly FC Dallas Youth Academy Julian Eyestone mm, update, yes. height update. <laughs> yeah. Julian at the age of 15 is now six foot five and a half, I've heard. Yeah. So still growing mm. like a tree. So yeah, good he's for gonna Julian. he's gonna he's gonna peak out at six foot six sometime in the next year or so. That'll be his height. Oh, you six, think six. he stops at six six? Yeah, he's definitely gonna he's he's almost finished growing. Really? Yeah, so he'll be six six. I was rooting for six nine. No, okay, he's not going to glove get size. Yeah, that's the real question. <laughs> Did you see that highlight clip that he posted uh, today or yesterday, whatever it was, when he has a couple of PKs? And no. he stands and he he stops a couple of PKs, and you should watch it if you care about player development because he stands in the goal with his arms extended <laughs> and his hair is pretty much brushing the crossbar, and his <laughs> arms are reaching out to like a foot from either pole. And I'm like. You can just imagine standing there like wanting up a PK and go, where the hell am I supposed to kick this thing? Because he's covering the whole day of goals to stand there. It's freaking awesome. Yeah. It's like a, a giant palm tree is a goalkeeper. It's fascinating. Yeah, you should have seen the scouts following that kid around to the Dallas Cup. He wasn't even playing. They were just following him around. It was hysterical. Uh, well, there you go. There's your uh, now weekly Julian Einstone height update on the podcast. All right, Dan, well, thank you, Dan. It was very brave of you to uh, come out of mourning on the heels of missing out on joining the Premier League to do the podcast this week. The the pod listener really owes you uh, a a real debt of gratitude. I appreciate that uh, 
strange, kind. Yeah, thank you. Better luck next season, my friend. I hope so. Uh, actually, uh, you know what? Maybe there's there's another uh, cup game uh, happening. The uh, Denton Diablos and Fort Worth Vicarios this week, and oh, and I don't have game. a I don't have a horse in the race. So whoever wins, I'm okay with that. So maybe I can celebrate that instead of the playoffs. There you go. All right. See, that's a very positive attitude, Dan. That's what I like about you, sir. Buzz, thank you very much for your time and energy and thoughts and uh, and leadership. You're welcome. Can I take a moment, however, and just mm. contemplate for a second what it would be like to have Ricardo Pepe and Jesus Ferrer in a two-striker system together? <laughs> mm. Well, maybe maybe he gets loaned back. Mm. Or, you know, maybe the U.S. will do it. I mean, they uh, won't, but it, that would be so much fun. No, no, maybe because they're, you know, Bundesliga offseason, they'll let him come play here for a little bit. Maybe? No. No, probably not. not. So he costs okay. too much money. Man, I already, I'd already done the speculation segment, Buzz. Did they get unrelegated? They, got un- they, they did not get Yeah, they did not get relegated, no. Good for, he, good for Pepe. <clears> they <throat> need was... to buy some damn midfielders to pass on the ball. <laughs> yeah, they need a lot of things. Dude, that's we, for we, sure. That's the first thing we said when, we went there, when he went there. was like, if they pass him the ball, he'll be fine. But they don't because they don't have anybody that can serve the ball. So. Well, I don't think we had yeah. playing him as a right wing in our bingo card either. Well, that's what Lucci did when he wasn't working yeah. as a nine. Is Shellis the coach there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cooper's on the other wing. This is Eddie Middlebrook again, reminding you that Third Degree, the podcast, is brought to you by Soccer 90, your source for FC Dallas, U.S. national team, and international club gear. Friday, May 20th, America Strikers Ricardo Pepe and Jesus Ferrer will be in store signing autographs from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. Stop in, shop for some fresh FC Dallas, USA gear, and leave with Pepe and Ferrer's autograph. And remember, when you shop Soccer90.com as a listener of Third Degree, you receive 20% off your order when you use the promo code Third Degree. Uh, Dan, Buzz, thank you very much again. All right. And uh, thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan. I uh, hope you survived the emotional range of this week, and we will speak to you next week, hopefully after a win, on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Choose Jesus and Pepe. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast.